So, um, looks like we're in the book of Judges still, as of tonight. <laughs> we're just getting started. Uh, and uh, tonight finds us in chapter 3 of the book of Judges. And, um, you know, we're continuing uh, kind of with the last part of the, the prologue of Judges that records this transition between Joshua and now the period of Judges, you know. And that, that little prologue is chapter 1, which we went over two weeks ago, all the way up until verse 6 of chapter 3, which we're going to look at tonight. So it kind of, there's a transition going on, and we're kind of moving now into the next phase here, the, the time of the Judges for Israel. Um, it's just really interesting stuff. So, um, before we dive in, let's just read the chapter, chapter 3, and it'll just kind of give us an idea of the whole flow of what's, what's going on here. So, um, Judges chapter 3. Now there, these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all those who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Uh, namely, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites, uh, the Sidonians and the Hivites, who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon uh, to the entrance of Hamath. Uh, and they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandment of the Lord, uh, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, and the Termites. <laughs> Not that last one. <laughs> and they took their daughters to be their wives, and they gave their daughters to their sons, and they ended up serving their gods. So the children of Israel uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, uh, therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand. Uh, I gotta slow down on this one. Kushan Rishathiam, king of Mesopotamia, <laughs> and the children of Israel served them for eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord uh, raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel, who delivered them. Uh, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Uh, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. Uh, he went out to war, and the Lord delivered uh, Kushan Rishithiam, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then uh, Anethel, the son of Kenaz, died. So now the children of Israel, again, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon uh, and Amalek, uh, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now Ehud had made himself a dagger. It was double-edged with about a cubit in length. 
and fastened it under his clothes, under his right thigh. Uh, so he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> and uh, when he finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. Uh, but he himself turned back from the stone images that were in Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, Keep silence. And all who attended him went away. So Ehud uh, came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message to God from God for you. So he arose from his seat. And then Ehud reached from his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade. So the fat closed over the blade, uh, for he did not draw the dagger out of the belly, and all of his entrails came out. Then Ehud went out through the porch. Uh, he shut the doors into the upper room and behind and locked them. Uh, and when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look. And to their surprise, the doors of the upper rooms were locked. So they said, he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited uh, until they were embarrassed so that he had not opened the doors to the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen uh, dead on the floor. But he had, had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped uh, to Sirah. So it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went out uh, with him from the mountains, and he led them. And he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So when they went down uh, after him, seized the uh, fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, uh, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. Uh, so Moab was subdued that day. Under the hand of Israel, and the hand, uh, the land rested for eighty years. Uh, and after him was uh, Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed six hundred men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. So that's our chapter for tonight. Um, that's our text, rather. So now we can go home, watch the game. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Right? <laughs> That's, no, people are texting. I mean, I'm not that into baseball, really, but everyone's texting me, are you going to see the game? I go, no, I can't tonight. <laughs> it's funny. So anyways, uh, you know, that was in our text. We see um, in the first part there, you know, that the Lord, what he's doing in verses 1 through 6 uh, he's testing the next generation of, of the children of Israel by letting their enemies remain in the land. Um, and he's doing this for two reasons. Uh, one is so that uh, this current generation here of Israelites would know what it is to fight war. Um, that was one of the reasons. You know, Some of them did not know what it meant to fight war. Uh, and verses 1 through 2 tells us that. The second reason is to see if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, you know, to test their loyalty to him. We see that in, in verse 1 and in verse 4 where it says, uh, you know, 
that he might test Israel to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. Um, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, the Lord, he'll allow us to go through a difficulty uh, for this twofold test. You know, uh, the first part of the test is, is to strengthen us, uh, to benefit us, to allow, you know, personal spiritual growth in our lives. Um, you know, we know that Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good, you know, for those who are called according to his purpose and, and so forth. Um, you know, God will not allow difficulties to happen in our lives without some sort of benefit to us and our relationship to him. You know, so we, we know that. Um, and and the, so then the second reason that the Lord is going to allow us at times to go through a test uh, is to see whether or not we will continue to obey and follow his commands, you know. Um, and sometimes, and I'm speaking for myself, you know, we're, we're quick to back out sometimes as soon as things get rough. We get overwhelmed, we get frustrated, uh, and we just kind of want to throw in the towel and give up. Um, and I think it's because sometimes, and I, once again, speaking for myself, I think we have a misconception that once we, you know, come to the Lord, uh, hard times no more, you know, that's it. It's all going to be easy. We, we, we sometimes get caught up in that mindset, at least I know I do at times, um, and I catch myself. But the reality is that hard times are still going to happen to the believer, as it does the non-believer. Uh, but the difference is that the believer, we have the Lord to strengthen us, you know, to be alongside us and to carry us through those trials, you know. And, and that's what he's doing here. With, with the children of Israel. Um, so then moving along through verse 5 and 6, we see how the children of Israel behave uh, in light of this. Uh, verse 5, we kind of have a summary statement uh, of their, their mixed dwelling with the addition of three more nations. You know, the children of Israel dwelt along the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Um, Amorites means a sayer. Uh, Pezzarites means it belongs in a village, belonging to a village. Uh, Jebusites were the descendants of Jabus, who inhabited Jerusalem. Uh, but we see this, this uh, a sinful disobedience from Israel to the covenant of their God in, in verse 6, where it says that you know, they took their daughters to be their wives, uh, and they gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. Um, that's kind of the end result here of, of dwelling among uh, the land here with the other nations. Um, you know, it says they forgot the Lord their God. They serve, and what ended up happening uh, in the next verse, we see that they served the gods of Baal and Ashtoreth, uh, the gods of fertility. Um, you know, and it's kind of interesting when we. Uh, went on the Israel trip, there was one exhibit where there were um, real artifacts of idols from this time, and there were little gods of fertility, you know, you can see them, and they were made out of clay and stone, it was just kind of interesting, you know, all the Baals and Asheriths. Um, so, as a result of, of all this, they, they got, they, there was a marrying of the people of the Lord to people that, that the Lord told them not to marry, and, and what ends up happening is the Israelites end up serving their pagan gods. Um, we know that Second Corinthians chapter 6 tells us to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You know, what, what uh, fellowship does light have with darkness? Um, and if, you know, you or I are, are in an unequally yoked relationship, 
or a marriage or you know with a with a non-believer um you know when we know better uh the darkness always wins in that kind of situation you know that's 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 kind of the rule there um you know so then moving on in verse uh verses 7 we now you know see the children of Israel once again uh quote, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, you know, and it almost hurts when you read these words over and over again, you know, God delivers them and does so much for them, and then they do evil again in the sight of the Lord, and it just, you wonder when, and that's just kind of our nature at times, but it, it, it sometimes, you know, we, when will we learn, you know, um, we see this normal sin pattern of Israel here, verse 7, you know, they, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, they've forgot the Lord their God and they serve the other gods, the Baals and uh, Asherahs. Um, like we said, the gods of fertility of the land, that's that's who they ended up serving. Um, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for the next generation, the second generation uh, to forget the Lord um, instead of following him like their fathers did before them. You know, it's, it's not an uncommon thing. Um, in fact, it's probably more common for the second generation to forget the Lord and to turn to other gods, uh, other things uh, that are more important to them than the Lord. You know, um, and and it just goes to show that you know God doesn't save people by families. You know, that would be very nice if He did. <laughs> you know, uh, but that's not the case. You know, hey, mom or dad gets saved, and everybody's just kind of you know we're all in, but but that's not the case. Uh, the Lord only acknowledges an individual choice to follow Him, you know, as we see in the Scriptures and in our own personal lives. Um, you know, and something like this can even be really common among, you know, there, there's kind of the, the common tale, you know, with like preacher's kids or whatever, you know, their their parents, uh, um, you know, are, walk with the Lord and they kind of think, oh, I can just, they just rely on their parents' relationship with God and they you know, can do whatever they want. And it's, it's with anyone's kids, you know, not, not just preacher's kids, but uh, you see an example, even like with Samuel in, in first uh, Samuel chapter two, you see, uh, Eli's sons, they were wicked before the Lord. I mean, these guys are just really, really bad, you know, and, and just one generation away, you know, one, one, uh, walks with the Lord and one doesn't. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a sad thing, uh, when the next generation forgets the Lord, whether you know it be a nation or or a family or however, um, you know. But on the flip side of things, uh, you know, it's just so wonderful when the next generation continues to follow the Lord. It ends up being a blessing, you know. Um, Exodus chapter twenty, verse four through six. Uh, he says, you know, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of the heaven above and the earth beneath, water below. In other words, don't have any other gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the uh, children to the third and fourth generations, you know, those who hate me. But on the flip side, showing mercy to thousands, to those that love me and that keep my commandments, you know, and... Um, You know, what a blessing when, when the next generation chooses to obey the Lord. And, um, you know, you sometimes you'll see, like, families, you know, you'll just see generation of generation of just sin and darkness and 
addictions and all this stuff. And then somebody comes to the Lord and that cycle is broken, you know, and it's only God. It's not willpower or anything. It's, it's a God thing, you know, and that, that chain is broken. But once again, if, if their kids don't continue, then that cycle will continue. And we see it, you know, we see it in family and friends and, and so forth. You know, everybody's into the same thing, you know, their kids are doing what their parents did or whatever, you know, and everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. Um, so that's kind of the sinful pattern of Israel. And then we have this, this pattern, this holy pattern of, of Yahweh, uh, of the Lord in, in verse 8. Uh, it says, therefore, the anger of the Lord uh, was hot against Israel. You know, he said he's a jealous God like we just read. And, and he sold them into the hands of Cushan, um, king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served them for eight years. Um, you know, and this king here, his name means uh, twice wicked. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know. You know, just, I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> you know, kind of interesting. That's what happens, you know, you next generation walks away from the Lord and sometimes it's even worse, you know, the wickedness and the sin and all of that, you know. Um, so then in verse 9, we see the cry of, of the people of Israel to Yahweh uh, for deliverance in verse 9. Um, it says, Then the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel uh, who delivered them. And uh, this guy's name is... Uh, Othniel, and uh, he kind of is raised, he's raised up to become uh, one of the quasi-leaders of Israel, because we got to remember, this is a time in history before Israel had kings, you know, officially, you know, so these judges are being raised up, and, and his name means uh, Lion of God, and we see uh, the enabling of this judge by God in verse 10, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and, and he judged Israel, and went out to war, and, and the Lord delivered, you know, the enemies to him. Um, you know, and we see that God, once again, we see it over and over in Scripture, in history, in our lives, that, you know, God doesn't always necessarily call the equipped, but he equips the call, and, and he's going to do even more so that, as we're going to see in, in our chapter with uh, Ehud. Um, it's, it's really encouraging. Um, so Othniel went out to war, like we read. The Lord delivered uh, the king Cushan into his hand, and the land ends up having rest for 40 years um, in verse 11. And then eventually uh, Othniel uh, dies. You know, we see that in verse 11. Um, you know, and you think, you know, if one, one guy, one man was able to accomplish all of this through God's Spirit, you know, uh, upon him. Imagine what us as believers, uh, you know, who have access to God's spirit on a daily basis, you know, uh, what can we do for the Lord and for our land? You know, if you think about it, it's just encouraging when you read stuff like that. Um, so then moving on, uh, in verse 12, we get now to this guy Ehud, uh, his account here and his story is pretty interesting. You know, I've always, uh, I'm kind of fascinated by it. Um, once again, what happens? Verse 12 through 14. What do the children of Israel do? First, right off the bat, after all this that God did for them, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
you know. So uh, what ends up happening is, is they end up reaping the consequences of that, as, as we're going to see. Um, you know, they turn to this, their life of sin, again, verse 12, uh, doing evil in the, in the sight of Yahweh. And ju- God ends up judging them by strengthening uh, Eglon, the king of Moab. Um, we see that in uh, verse 12 and verse 13. Um, and as a result, once again, the Lord has caused the enemy to prevail against Israel, and they end up serving this guy Eglon for 18 years, you know. Um, and in verse 14, and that's, that's a long time. Uh, and it's kind of interesting, you know, how much emphasis is put on the fact over and over again that their evil was done in the sight of the Lord. You know, we see that over and over. Um, you know, sometimes when, when we sin, you know, against the Lord, we, we might think we're getting away with it at times. You know, we think, oh, nobody's around. You know, nobody sees me. Uh, but we forget to look up, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, and we can, we can fool those around us. We've all done it. But it's ultimately the Lord who sees everything, you know. And, and we think about the Psalms in Psalm 51 when, when David, after he repents from, from uh, sinning with, with Bathsheba and committing adultery and then killing her husband, uh, he says, you know, against you to the Lord, only you have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. You know, that, he came back to reality there, you know. And yeah, we sin against other people when we do. We hurt other people, you know, but ultimately... Uh, we sin against the Lord first, and that's what David's saying. You know, um, it's just kind of crazy. Uh, so once again, you know, verse fifteen. Um, the people cry out to the Lord, and in God's mercy and His grace, He raises up another uh, deliverer for them. And, and like we said, this man's name is Ehud. Um, it's kind of interesting in verse 15, it, it makes mention over this fact that he's left-handed. Um, shout out to all the left-handers in the room, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it says it right there. He was a left-handed man. It, it goes out of its way to say that. Um, and some point out that this indication of him being left-handed is really saying that maybe he was paralyzed uh, or handicapped in his right hand. I mean, it's possible. Um, um, it's also pointed out, we know uh, from, from Judges uh, chapter 20, it says that the Benjamites were also known for their ability to uh, throw a sling with their left hand, you know, and not miss. So could be that too. I'm sorry? That's it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wish I had that skill. <laughs> but... Uh, so, you know, ultimately we, we don't really know for sure why he was left-handed, but it goes out of its way in the text to tell us that he was left-handed. Um, you know, it could have been through some sort of disease or misuse of his hand, you know, that he was not able to use it on, on his right hand. Um, and, and because of this, maybe it's possible he wasn't able to go to war, you know, since a left-hand use of the sword would have been awkward in battle. You know, who knows? But... Um, we do know that he's left-handed, and, and, and we're actually going to see that come to play in a little bit um, as, as we look at our text. But um, So the children of Israel, they, they send tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab, uh, by this guy Ehud. You know, it's uh, part of their tribute money and all. In verse 15, we see uh, this happening. So in verse 16, we see that Ehud makes himself this this... Yeah, this little 
shank, if you will. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> right? Little double-edged yeah, dagger. <laughs> right, he makes it himself, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A uh, little double-edged dagger. It's double, double-sided. We see that. Verse 16. Um, and we also see, notice that, you know, it says that he keeps the dagger on his right side. Um, you know, since he was left-handed, naturally, you know, he would put the dagger uh, on the right side, you know, so he can withdraw it, you know, with the left hand. Um, it's kind of interesting. So, uh, in verses 17 through 20, uh, Ehud is, you know, now before Eglon, the Moabite king. He's with the tribute. And, and verse 17 tells us uh, Eglon was a very fat man. It tells us that. And, and we'll see why. Um, now, in order to become uh, in the presence of a king, uh, you couldn't have a weapon on your person. I mean, that still applies today. You know, you want to meet the president or whatever, you can't walk in with even a pocket knife or whatever, you know. That's just not how it works. So, uh, what the guards would do is they would, you know, check to feel if you had any sword on you. Um, and it's possible that, I mean, maybe they would always check the left side uh, of anyone who came in since, you know, those that were right-handed, who knows. But what ends up happening is Ehud passes the guards, and may, maybe they only checked his left side, who knows. But, uh, you know, because he was able to get through. Uh and, and, you know, it, it, maybe he wasn't suspected as being dangerous to the king if, if he was handicapped in any way. Who knows? You know, maybe they thought, well, he's not a threat or, or a danger. Um, who knows? But, you know, maybe that's how he got through. But at this point now, he's standing before the king, um, and he got through it without them taking his sword. He still has it on him. Um, so then Ehud's tells him, you know, I have a secret message for you from God. Uh, in verse 19, and then the king tells him, everybody else, be quiet, be silent, and those who were attending went out. So now it's just Ehud and the king here. And, um, you know, it says in verse 20 that Ehud came to the king who was sitting in his cool private chamber, and he repeats again, I have a message of God uh, for you. So, the king, uh, Eglon king, arises from his seat, he gets up, you know, verse 20. Uh, and then in verse 21, you know, as, as the king is standing up, Ehud tells him the messages from God, and he ends up thrusting the dagger into his stomach, uh, the belly of the Moabite king, uh, in verse 21. He says that he thrust it into his belly, uh, and then also in verse 20, it says that, um, you know, the king was so so fat that the fat ends up covering the handle of the dagger. It just kind of, you know, <laughs> just kind of covers it up. You didn't even get to pull the thing out, <laughs> you know. The dagger is 18 inches. Yep. Is 18 inches. Wow. So that's interesting. Crazy. Yeah, so... He, he was a large man, um, <laughs> you know, according to the account here. So then, on top of this, the, the the intestines spill out, you know, all over the place, and it's kind of this this you know scene here. Uh, so what Ehud ends up doing is he locks the doors 
uh, to the king's chamber and, and he splits, you know, in verse 23. Um, so then, uh, verse 24 and 25, we see this shocking discovery of the King Eglon's death, you know, uh, uh, verse, uh, Yeah, verse 24 and 25. Um, you know, in verse 24, we see that uh, the guards found, find that the doors are locked. So they assume that the king, uh, when it says tending to his needs, in other words, he was in, in the restroom. You know, they assume that, you know. And um, this gives Ehud time to escape. So then after a while, everyone's just kind of standing around, and it took so long for him to come out, it says that the guards were embarrassed from waiting around, you know, so long for him, because, uh, you know, he was in the restroom for so long or whatever. <laughs> Got a little embarrassing after a while, so <laughs> we know how that is. That time. Uh, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. You have the, and, uh, and, uh, they're waiting around, so they unlock the doors. Um, I had to go get that little extra key that comes with the door lock, you know, to <laughs> unlock the door. And they find the king of Moab uh, dead on the floor in verse 25. Uh, so it's just this big shocking scene. It's like, oh gosh, what are, what's going on here? Uh, so after all this, Ehud uh, goes back to the children of Israel. And what he ends up doing is he he lets them know uh, that the Moabite king is dead. And he tells them, you know, hey, the Lord's given the enemies over to them. Uh, and he tells them to, to follow him, uh, leading to the death of the Moabites. So, you know, Ehud's escaping. He's passing through the stone images or the quarries. You know, he's all in Indiana Jones mode right now. <laughs> you know, he splits. Um and he arrives, in, in verse 27, he blows the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and he rallies up the children of Israel, and it says that he, he leads them. Uh, and, and Ehud's words are, follow me, uh, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, uh, the Moabites, into your hand. And it says that they seized the fords of the Jordan, uh, leading to Moab, and, and it did not allow anybody to cross over. And uh, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. You know, it's just kind of interesting. Stout men of valor. Um, it can also be translated stout-hearted. You know, and 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 what what a cool thing uh, as men of God that we be stout-hearted. You know, and 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 willing to just move forward. I'm sorry. It, it struck me reading this that the ten thousand that he killed were probably occupiers, of Israel. They were trying to escape back to Moab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting, yeah. No, totally, totally. Just wild stuff happening here. Stuff that only God could really cause to happen, you know, when it comes to numbers and all. Um, so yeah, they killed 10,000 men, not a man escaped. And, and as a result, Moab uh, was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest uh, for 80 years, verse 30 tells us. Um, and then in the last verse of the chapter, we see uh, the next uh, judge, the third judge, 
of Israel, uh, Shamgar, and, uh, which means a sword. Uh, he was the son of uh, Anath, and he killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, which is this, this eight-foot pole with a metal spike on it on one end. Yeah, so he was a bad dude. <laughs> and, and, and then on the other end, uh, there was a blade, you know, and you cut the grass with it. So he was like, yeah, it was like something out of like a, a superhero movie or something. I don't know. <laughs> but he ends up delivering Israel. You know, we see that as well. So he's the third judge of Israel. So we moved out of Joshua era. We're now full on into the judges area. And we've covered three judges as of tonight. Um, now, going back to the part a little bit with Ehud's dagger, um, you know, I think there's something uh, kind of interesting, even from a story like this. You know, um, First off, you know, what, what kind of dagger does Ehud make for himself? It's, it's a double-edged dagger. Double-edged sword. What is what is likened to a double-edged sword in the Bible? You know, the Word of God, right? Hebrews four twelve tells us that the Word of God is a double-edged sword, and it pierces to the you know bone and the marrow, and it cleanses our iniquities. Um, you know, it's double-edged. It 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 uh, convicts us, but it also cleanses us. You know, there's those two sides to it. You know. Um, so then Ehud makes himself this double-edged sword. And, and what does he do with it? He thrusts it into the king's belly. So far, like we mentioned earlier, that he, he can't even pull out the handle. Um, you know, this can represent, I think, the word of God, you know, going deep inside of us into our inmost being, like it says, you know, to the very marrow of who we are. <laughs> you know, he thrusts that thing so deep into him. And, and, and the result of this dagger going deep inside the king of Moab was that the intestines spilled out, you know, all the junk, <laughs> you know, all the ugly stuff, you know. And, you know, when the word of God goes deep inside us, you know, into, like we said, into our inmost being, like the scriptures say, to the point of the joint and the marrow, all the junk, the sin in our hearts begins to come out as the word of God cleanses us. You know, like we said earlier, it's a double-edged sword. It's a, it's it's a convicting, but it's also cleansing. Uh, John fifteen three describes the word of God as a cleansing agent. Uh, Jesus says, uh, "You are clean because of my word that I have spoken to you." So we know that in Scripture that it, it's it's an agent that that is cleansing. Um. So you know, the sin of our hearts in our hearts comes out as the Lord reveals it to us, but. You know, he obviously doesn't just stop there, as we know. You know, he changes our hearts, and he makes us a little bit more like Christ as he continues to bring out that sin, you know, that lurks deep inside of us, in our inmost being, you know, stuff we didn't even know existed, you know. And the more we get into the Word, and the more we read it, and it's just in us, uh, in our hearts, in our minds, we God reveals more things about ourselves, you know. We, we all know that. We've all been there, and, and we continue, hopefully, to to go through that process as God continues to cleanse us. So, word of God goes in, the junk comes out. <laughs> if there's anything on a practical level that we can get, you know, from this this interesting story here, you know, and it's it's um, just that constant reminder, you know, it's it's basic, it's simple, but it's it's much needed in our lives as believers, as men you know, of God. So, um, having said that, um, let's pray. 
Lord, we just want to come before you again, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord, just for speaking to us, Lord, even through these uh, stories, Lord, that are just uh, kind of interesting and in, 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 uh, in how you use uh, uh, the most unlikely of people at times, Lord. People, you're the one who equips, you're the one who, who enables, and uh, we pray for us in this room, Lord, as men, uh, that we would be stout-hearted men of valor for you, Lord, as these men that fought uh, for Ehud, Lord. And, and you, through your spirit, Lord, you would just raise us up to, um, to make a difference, Lord, in the lives of, of those around us and even in our land and our country. Who knows, Lord, how you want to use us, Lord. We lift uh, these things to you, Lord, and uh, we just pray you come before us as we go home. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.